So today is the third in our series of When Faith Grows Cold. Week one, we talked about heart issues, broken hearts, suffering, sorrow. Last week, we talked about hands, the living out, and the hypocrisy that we see in our own lives and the lives of others and the life of the church. Tonight, we'll talk about issues of the head, intellectual issues and problems and doubts. And so there's uh, one person who comes to mind when you think about doubting. So we're going to read his story tonight, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at John 20. It's going to be found in your pew Bibles, the black Bibles, or the, the black books are the Bibles, page 883 in your pew Bibles. We're looking at uh, verses 19 through 31 of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Hear the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, that's Easter, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When Jesus said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand and his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, if you believe because you've seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. So when you hear about Thomas, there's usually a word that prefaces his name. What is it? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. Imagine that for 2,000 years, your entire character is summed up on like one sentence of scripture where you're like, I don't really think that happened. Everyone's like, well, doubter, doubter, doubting Thomas. And it just becomes a thing. But if we actually get to know who Thomas is, we get to know a little bit more of his story, we kind of understand why he was the one who said what he said. Thomas was somebody who was all in for Jesus. He was all in. He was fully committed. And the reason we know this is because a few chapters before this story, John tells us that um, 
in a different village from the one where Jesus was currently in, there were two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother was dying. And so they sent a message over to Jesus and said, our brother is dying, would you come? And they lived in an area that was crawling with people who had been opposed to Jesus. And so when the message comes and Jesus evaluates him, is it going to go or is it not going to go? And then he finally decides to go. And the disciples say to him, um, last time we were in this area, they tried to stone you. This is not your target audience. Do you really want to go back? And Jesus says, yep, it's my time. I'm going to do this. And Thomas kind of has this little aside moment with the disciples. He says, let's go with him so that we may die with him. That's Thomas. Thomas is like, let's go. Get it up. Suck it up. We are going. Like, that's Thomas. Thomas is all in. The other really interesting thing is here it is, Easter Sunday. Everybody else is kind of hunkered down in the house. They've got the doors locked. They're scared. Where's Thomas? He's out. We don't know if he's, like, getting groceries for everybody we don't know if he's like checking in on somebody's aging parents, seeing how they're doing. But everybody else is like hunkered, sad, blah, and Tom's like, I'll take care of it. I got it. I'll go. He's the one who's out. He's the one who's away. So this is somebody who's all in, who's committed, who's brave, who's bold. This is somebody you want on your team. That's Thomas. So doubting doesn't really describe him very well. His friends did give him a nickname, though. Did you notice this in the text? 24. But Thomas, who was called the twin, Thomas the twin. This means that Thomas also spent most of his life going, oh, no, no, I'm Thomas. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, that was my brother you saw at the marketplace? I was fishing that day. I'm Thomas. Oh, no, no, teacher, no, that was him. I'm Thomas. Now, some of you are twins, and some of you know twins, and you know how it is to be confused. Miles, Mason, Mason, Montana, McCoy, which kid are you? Right? We know how that is to get all mixed up. We know. So Thomas had spent his whole life saying, no, it's not me. I'm going to row my hair out long so I don't look like my brother anymore, right? These are the ways that he had to define himself. And so identity and mistaken identity was something that he'd grown up with. So he comes in with the groceries and he puts them down on the counter and the disciples are all like, we've seen the Lord! And he's looking at his friends who haven't slept in like 48 hours. And they've got the bags under their eyes and they're all tear-stained. And he's like, okay, look. Whatever you all saw that's making you feel good, that's, that's great. That's, that's fine. But until I actually see the marks in his hand... And, you know, until I see the wound in his side, I'm not going to believe this. Now, what Thomas was asking for was the first century version of ID. Because you couldn't haul out your little Calvin ID card and swipe it and prove who you were. 
You were known by your scars. You were known like, oh, that's Reuben who lost his finger in the construction accident. Or, you know, um, oh, that's Miriam. Remember, she's got the, the burns on her hands from that accident. Like, you became known by your scars. And in fact, if you read the story carefully, if you look up above where Jesus shows up to the disciples... He comes in and he says, peace be with you. And then verse 20, after Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side. That is, he pulled out his ID. It's really me. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. He shows up, he says, peace be with you. They're like, mm, I don't know. And he's like, look, look. And they're like, yeah, it's him, it's him, it's him. So Thomas isn't asking for anything out of the ordinary when he says, I need to have a little proof here, guys. I need to see his ID. Completely legitimate. In fact, everything Thomas has done to this point is completely legitimate. He has seen people get crucified. He has watched people die. They don't come back to life. The only person who could do this was Jesus, and he's the one who's dead. So... Not going to happen this time, folks. This is really hard to believe. I realize all you think you saw something, but I know how identity gets mixed up. And I love Jesus just as much as anybody else, and I wish he was alive too, but that's just not the way things work in the world. That's just not the way things work in the world. It's hard to believe that kind of stuff. Right? That's not, how the, that's not the way things work in the world. People die and they die. They don't come back to life. They don't ascend into heaven. They don't say they're going to come back and then everybody hangs out for 2,000 years waiting for them. If you haven't, at some point in your walk of faith, struggled with faith, and at moments when you're like, really, we believe this stuff? Really? Really? Then you haven't been paying attention. Because Christians believe some pretty weird stuff. We do. Can we just say that out loud? We believe that there was this guy 2,000 years ago, that he was the son of God, the Messiah, that everyone had been waiting for for thousands of years since the world was created. And we believe that there's this little tiny group of people called the Israelites, and they were chosen by God for some reason. They got the crap beat out of them all the time. And they were disobedient. They went into slavery. They had lots of problems. They were not a stellar group of people. But we say, yeah, okay, okay. But then from them, there was this person, this angel, and the Mary, and, you know, okay, she was a virgin, but um, to- that- just go with me on this. So she has this baby, and the baby, we say, is the son of God. And then he grew up, and he did these really cool things, and he would heal people, and he would teach. And then the people didn't like him, and then he got killed. And, and then he rose again from the grave and then like he taught 40 more days he taught everybody and then he ascended into heaven and he says he's going to come back and we're 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 still waiting that's totally believable right 
If you haven't had moments when you're like, I'm not so sure about this whole thing, then you're not paying attention. It is hard to believe this stuff sometimes. It is hard to believe. And we, like Thomas, are like, I would really like to see a little proof. I would really like to have God do something. And how often don't our prayer lives kind of reflect this? Lord, if you're real, do this thing. (laughs) I'm sure no one in this room has ever prayed like that. People do. But there's this sense where we're like, you know, you got to show up. You got to show me. I don't get it. This is too big for me to believe. That's because it is. It's not like you're less of a person because you have a hard time believing this stuff. It's not like you're less of a Christian if you have a hard time believing different aspects of this. It means you're kind of normal and you're kind of with the team. It's hard to believe. And as we have seen in this series, it's not just the big questions about who Jesus was or the life of the church or why we believe the Bible or why is there evil or suffering. It can be things like our own personal suffering and sorrow, the sin in our own lives, this can cause it. It can be the hypocrisy we see around us and in the church and in our own lives. And it can be these intellectual things. All of these things can make our faith grow cold at different points. If your faith grows cold at some point because of one of these things, you're not an anomaly. You are not less than. You are experiencing what I'm going to guess just about every other Christian has experienced at some point. And that is this wondering about what is God and what is he up to? It can be hard to believe. If we think of belief as like a thermometer, like this is 100%, like this is zero, and we, we, I think most of us actually float kind of around the 80 to 90 zone. It's like, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're in, but there's still these moments where we're like, what? What is that about? And maybe we have a personal crisis or something is revealed to us and it just drops and we think, ah, I'm still going, I'm still hanging in there, but boy, do I, I have some big questions. And then every now and then maybe it drops just down to the floor and we're just barely holding on. And if we're honest, there are some of us for whom it's about 20%, 25%. And that may be the best we can do. And we'd love to have this childlike faith. We look at people around us who are all in and they don't seem to have any questions and they don't seem to have any doubts. And we would love to be that, but we're just not. That's not how we're wired. We like reason and order and sense. And there's a lot to this Christian stuff that just doesn't make sense. And so we hang in there and we, you know, we follow and we obey and we do everything that we're supposed to do and we deeply hope that it's enough. And wherever you find yourself on this, the most important thing out of this passage isn't about Thomas. It's about Jesus. Jesus. And what Jesus 
does and how he responds to Thomas, who's here. So it's a week later. They're all together in the house again. Thomas is with them this time. Jesus shows up again through the doors, by the way, twice. I can't wait to have a resurrected body that does that kind of stuff. Like, hello. <laughs> shows up and he says, peace be with all y'all. And then he looks right at Thomas. Right? He goes right to Thomas. And he says, go ahead, look. Go ahead, check it out. Touch me. Reach, do you see, you see my scar? He's like hauling up his rope. Resurrected bodies wear ropes, probably. He's hauling up his rope, right? Jesus completely opens himself up for inspection. He is open to the questions. He is open to the doubts. He is not afraid. He doesn't say to Thomas, well, you can see my hands, but you can't see my side. He says, no, go ahead, look, study, investigate, explore, ask every question you want to ask. I'm here. He doesn't mock Thomas. He doesn't scold him. He invites him to investigate. Jesus is not afraid of Thomas's questions. Jesus is not afraid of Thomas's doubts. Jesus wants Thomas to investigate because Jesus wants Thomas to understand the beauty and the power of Easter. Jesus doesn't want Thomas to miss out on this amazing thing that has happened that has totally upended sin and death and hell. Jesus wants him in. This isn't about Jesus' ego, like, you know, like, I gotta have all my guys on. Come on, Thomas, believe, let's go, buddy. This is about Thomas. Jesus loves Thomas so much. He says, you're gonna love this. You're gonna love what God did. You're gonna love the hope that this gives. You're gonna love being able to talk about this with everybody you see. Come on and look. That's Jesus' gift to Thomas. And the other thing we need to pay attention to is what the Christian community does here. So after this Easter Sunday appearance, when Thomas says to them, yeah, I, mm, I don't really get this, guys. They don't say to him, well, if you don't believe, you can't hang out with us anymore. And he doesn't say to them, I think you all are crazy, I'm out. This Tiny, little, wounded, struggling band of Jesus followers made space. Made space for the one who doubted. Made space for the ones who believed. Made space. For a week, they ate together and they prayed together and they drank together and they cried together and they talked together. And they didn't know Jesus was going to show up again. They had no idea. For all they knew, this was it. They got the appearance. Thomas missed it. Now they got to figure this out. They made space. Because they too wanted Thomas to understand the power of Easter. They wanted him to get it. They loved him so much. They're like, that's okay. We know. This is hard to believe. We understand. Come on over. Have a seat. Eat some more fish. 
Is our community that kind of community? If you have somebody in a class who puts up a hand and says, yeah, I, I just need to let you know, I, I don't believe I'm not there. What's the response? Is there this kind of like, whoa, what, whoa, how'd that person get to Galvin College? Or is there this kind of leaning in, like, this person's got a story. There's a reason that even though they don't believe, they're here. Maybe they're curious, maybe their parents made them come, maybe they believed and now they don't believe, but here's a story and I want to learn what it is. And in the minute that somebody in your class puts up a hand and says, I, I'm not a believer, you just need to know, I'm really kind of struggling with this or I don't really know what I believe, in that moment, that person should have 15 or 17 or 27 or whoever's all in the class praying for them immediately. Because they have just taken an incredibly brave step in a Christian community to put up a hand and say, yeah, I just want you to know I'm not like all y'all. That is incredibly vulnerable. Love that person. And if you're that person and you haven't ever put up a hand, that's okay. Or maybe you put up a hand and you haven't gotten a lot of love. Come on, find me. I will give you a hug. Because this is hard stuff to believe. And we want to be a community that says, we're going to figure this out together. That's why we're spending time on this over spring semester to say, how has the church answered these questions? Because here's the other thing to know. Somebody comes to you or raises up a hand or is in your small group or something and says, I don't really believe this, I don't really get this. That doesn't mean that right there in that moment, you have to become a textbook of knowledge on every hard question of the Christian faith. Like, oh no, I don't know why we believe the Bible. I should... I should know that. Well, you should and you will, but in that moment you don't. You say, that is such a good question. I've got that question too. Let's study it together. Let's figure it out. I say this all the time when people come to my office and they ask me big questions and if I don't really answer, that's a great question. Let's think about that. Let's look at that together. Let's unpack that. Because Jesus wasn't afraid of hard questions, we don't need to be afraid of hard questions. And the church has been asking and answering hard questions for thousands of years. This is not new to us. It is very rare that somebody comes and sits down in an office of Matt or Joelle or Paul or me and they ask us some big faith question that we think, I have never thought about that before. Usually it's like, I know, that bothers me too. I know, this is how I've learned to think about that. This is how Kierkegaard thought about it. This is how C.S. Lewis thought about it. This is how Mother Teresa thought about it. This is how Julian of Norwich thought about that. Let's, let's learn from the people who've gone before us. We lean in. We make space for people. This is what we do. You know, at the end of this little exchange when Thomas says, my Lord And my God, I kind of picture Jesus laughing like, yeah, it's so great, isn't it? And you believe because you've seen me. And then Jesus says this sentence, which shows that he understands how hard this stuff is to believe. He says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. That's great. I love you, man. We're in this together. This is awesome. But let me tell you something. 
Blessed is everyone who doesn't see and still believes. Because, Tom, there are going to be millions of people who don't get the chance that you just got. And it's John who writes this story. And at the very end of it, he says, now look, hey, Jesus did a ton of stuff. He did some really cool things. Like we didn't write it all down. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name because we know you didn't get to see it. We know you didn't get to touch his hands. We know you didn't get to see his side. And we can't do anything about that. So here's, here's what we got. Here's what we got. We, we sat down and we wrote down the stories we can remember because we don't want you to miss out on Easter joy. We don't want you to miss out on the hope of the gospel. We don't want you to miss out on the fact that God is doing something amazing and you get to be a part of it. That's the joy of belief. It's not the joy of certainty. It's not the joy of a pain-free life. It's not the joy of always knowing the answer to everybody else's question. The joy of belief is kind of knowing that you don't have to. Joy of belief is knowing that God has done what he needs to do in you and through you in this world and that he's not done yet. And that you, by being a follower of Jesus Christ, get to be some part of something that is so much larger, so much better, so much richer, so much more hopeful than anything the world can offer. And Jesus doesn't want you to miss it. So ask the questions. Inspect his hands. Learn his stories. And remember his blessing to us is this. Blessed are all of you who don't see and still believe. Amen.